Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. As we open up your word, we seek to understand a little bit more of your son. Would you just open up our ears today, open up our hearts, help us to draw closer and closer to you, and ultimately help us to understand a little bit more how great and wide and deep and amazing is the love of Jesus Christ today. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, church, we've been in a series where we're looking at the final words of Jesus on the cross, calling it the words of love, because every word that Jesus spoke on the cross, I think, is significant. It shows a little bit more of his love and how much he cares for us, but also the life that he's called us to as well. And so we started off looking at Jesus' words of forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do and we talked about how much forgiveness is called to impact our lives and how we're missing something in the cross if we're still walking around carrying guilt with us and then last week we talked about assurance about jesus's moment on the cross returns to this thief next to him and says today you'll be with me in paradise we talked about how amazing and incredible that is and how if there's anything in us in our theology that when we come before God, if we think, man, it's about, God, here's the things that I did, or God, here's the things that, that, that I did with my life, or I went to church this many times, but no, it's about the fact that Jesus said, and just in the same way as that man on the cross when he went to heaven would have said, no, uh, the only thing that I'm here today, the only reason I'm here today is the guy on the middle cross said I could come. The same is true for each and every one of us. It's only by the grace of Jesus. And today, there's another word I want to look at that Jesus said on the cross that is one that sometimes gets overlooked. It kind of feels like it's just kind of a part of the story and we just kind of move on from it. It's the phrase, I am thirsty. Jesus in John 19 says, says later knowing that everything had been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus says, I am thirsty. It doesn't feel like a really deep statement, does it? But at the same time, there's so much depth and richness in it that we're going to look at today. See, it's interesting. Jesus is on the cross and suddenly, right before he's about to die, he says, I am thirsty. And they give him a drink of wine and vinegar. And then he, just a second later, will then say, it is finished. And we're going to talk about that word next week. But it's interesting. Jesus, in, in Luke 15, about six hours before this, they had already offered Jesus a drink, and he had refused. It says they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Really interesting. He's already been offered a drink, and now all of a sudden he's asking for a drink. And he said, and he's, it's interesting because if you go back to what was going on in that moment, it says they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, which would have been a painkiller. It would have been the closest thing they had to a narcotic at the time. And Jesus was going to feel every single ounce of our pain. He was going to feel every single thing. He wasn't going to die for our sins drugged up. And so Jesus refuses. But now in this moment at the very end, Jesus asks for a drink. 
And so I want to talk about a couple of reasons of why this is significant. Why it's significant that Jesus said, I am thirsty. The first one is this. Of course, he says it to fulfill Scripture. We already read that in the verse. It says that now that so that, so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus says, I am thirsty. The reality is there, there's over 300 references to the coming Messiah that is all throughout the Old Testament. There's all these references in small little moments of prophecy that Jesus fulfills. And this is just one more of those. If you read in Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Psalm 15, there's these references to being thirsty. Psalm 69, 12 specifically, 21 specifically, talks about this moment of, I'm thirsty and all they give me is vinegar to drink. And then they go and they give him vinegar to drink. Very interesting. But the reality is, this is just another one of those moments of Jesus showing himself to be the Messiah. It's an incredible moment. But then it goes even deeper. See, Jesus shows, he fulfills Scripture. But the second thing he shows with this phrase, I am thirsty, that I think is so important is this. Jesus shows his humanity. Jesus shows his humanity. I mean, because the reality is this. If you really want to get deep, why did Jesus say, I'm thirsty? You guys want to hear the really deep reason why he said he was thirsty? Because he was thirsty. Because the reality is, in a moment, he's about to cry out some of those significant words. He's about to yell out, it is finished. And it's hard to do that when your throat is parched. Because the reality is that Jesus had a body. He, he was 100% God and 100% human. And this is something we just kind of, we think about and we just go, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's cool. The fact is, this is one of the first theological debates that ever happened in the church. Like right away, as soon as the church started, one of the first things that kind of came into existence was groups of people that were going around going, you know, I don't know. Was Jesus like fully human? Like, like I mean, I mean you know, because obviously like he was God and he's son of God. So like, is it possible he was just kind of like a, like a ghost Jesus or like some sort of like a, an aberration? Like it kind of looked human, but then he really wasn't. Like this doesn't seem like it's a big deal, but this is one of the first big debates in the church. And the reality is every heresy that's ever come about, it's always come about because someone goes, you know, I kind of like this idea. And someone else goes, yeah, that's kind of a good idea too. And then somewhere along the line, someone goes, well, well hold on, hold on. That doesn't line up with Scripture. Because if, that, if that's true, then, then how in the world is Jesus going to die for our sins if he's not a human? How is he going to be the sacrifice and atonement for us? How, how is that possible? And so eventually, this has been a, a debate over the years that kind of has felt settled. But that's the thing. It's interesting how many people, when we talk about Jesus being human, taking on human skin and, and having the same temptations as us, how many Christians talk about Jesus like that's not true? Like they say things like, well, you know, I'm not Jesus. Well, you know, yeah, Jesus could do that, but yeah, Jesus could forgive, but you know, I'm, I'm not Jesus. But Jesus said before he left, I'm going to give you my spirit. Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us as believers. And he, Jesus even says, it's better that I go away and you're going to do even greater things than this. The thing is, sometimes I think we forget 
that Jesus becoming human was to show us how to live a perfect life. And then he said, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit that's going to empower you to do it. That's what's so amazing about Jesus having a human flesh, having a human body. Because for everything we struggle with, every moment we feel like we can't possibly go on, every time we struggle with lust, Jesus was tempted to lust. Every time we struggle with the temptation of anger, hatred, power, greed, every single one of those things Jesus was exposed to and Jesus faced. And so in the moments when we feel like we can't go on and we're not strong enough, we have a Jesus that is. We have a Jesus that wasn't just strong enough because he was God. He had a human body. He faced the temptations. He felt every single ounce of it, every single ounce of the pain that we feel in our, in our everyday lives. That's why I love Hebrews chapter 4. It says, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Parents, kids, you ever have that conversation? Maybe kids to parents. Maybe, maybe parents, you've had your kids say this recently. Mom, Dad, you just, you just wouldn't understand. You just don't get it. And then the parents have that response, at least mine did, where they say, you know, I was your age once. I've been there. I, I think of that whenever I think of this passage. It says that we have a high priest. What's a high priest? High priest is our advocate before the Father. It used to be that the high priest was the one that would be the bridge in the relationship between God and his people. And now we have the ultimate high priest sitting at the right hand of the Father. And it says we don't have a high priest who's unempathetic to our weaknesses, but who understands our weaknesses. Therefore, this is what I think is so interesting. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace. So in light of that, let us approach God's throne of grace. We use this verse a lot. Let us come boldly before God's throne. It's a great verse, but it's interesting. It's in connection to Jesus being our high priest who understands everything that's going on in our life. It says, let us then come confidently before God's throne. Because sometimes what we do when it comes to prayer, when it comes to coming before God's throne, the way we think of it is like we're going to come to God with our list. And we're going, oh, great, I can come confidently before God's throne. Okay, God, there's the list. That's everything I got going on. Just let me know kind of what you get figured out. I'll see you next week. Peace. But the thing is, what he's talking about here is a conversation where the high priest who understands everything that we're going through, we can come confidently before God's throne. And the God of the universe looks down as we say, man, I got... I got this going on. I, I got, man, people are just mean. Why are people so mean? We got Jesus up there going, yeah, I know. Ah, it's crazy, isn't it? Man, 
God, I'm just, I'm struggling with this anger. I just, oh, I'm just so mad. Yeah, I understand. I felt that before. Let me give you the grace and the mercy and the power to be able to be better. That's what I love about this verse is that we don't serve a God who's pulled back from us and doesn't understand anything. We serve a God that not only came down to die for us, but he felt every single thing that we feel. He felt every single moment that we can't possibly go on, those moments, those emotions we can't possibly handle. The Bible says he will give us the grace and the mercy that we need to continue on. We serve a God that said, I'm thirsty. We serve a God that that had the, the same limitations that we face every day. Philippians chapter 2. Paul is writing, he says, Don't look out for your only for your interest, but take an interest in others as well. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God was something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It says Jesus lowered himself. He lowered himself to the point where he literally had to ask for a drink. The cre- I mean, think about this. The creator of the universe hanging on a cross going, I'm thirsty. Submitting himself to be at the whims of other people. He submitted himself to be hung on a cross. He gave up his right to divinity. He gave up his right and everything to hang on a cross for us. Question is, how much are we willing to lower ourselves? How much are we willing to give up of our rights? So often we get so caught up in our rights as Christians. When Jesus gave us the model of what it means to give up your rights on the cross, are we willing to give up our right to be angry? Are we willing to give up our right to be right? Are we willing to give up our right to be offended? What rights are we willing to give up? Because Jesus was willing to give up all of them for us. By coming down and becoming a human being at the expense of others. Mark chapter 15. says that someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. I think this moment is so beautiful. Jesus is on the cross. He's asking for a drink. I can't help but think of what it was like for that person that ran and got that sponge what it was like in heaven later on. It says in Matthew 25, many of you are familiar, that Jesus will say to those on his right, welcome into my kingdom. Why? Because when I was thirsty, 
you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. He says, come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Because you served me. And of course, they'll ask, Jesus, when did we do this? And he'll say, whenever you did it for the least of these. Whenever you did for the least of these. See, it's ironic because Jesus is hanging on a cross talking about the fact that he's thirsty. When the reality is, as he's already said to the woman at the well in Samaria, I've come to bring water that you'll never thirst from. I've come to bring you living water. Jesus is dying in this moment to bring living water to the world. And in this moment, he needs a drink while coming to bring the ultimate drink to the world around him. And the thing is, if we're really going to be like Jesus, then in the midst of our humanity and our weakness, are we willing to give up our rights? Are we willing to give up ourselves so that other people can taste the living water of Jesus? Because the reality is, there are people all around us who are in need of a drink. Might not be Jesus hanging on a cross, but Jesus already said, are you looking around for the least of these? There's people all around us who are thirsty, who are hungry, both in a physical sense, but even more so in a spiritual sense. And they may not say it to you, they may not speak about it to you, but they'll say things that are hints, like, man, there's just got to be more to life than this. Man, I'm really struggling right now. Man, I'm not sure what this God thing is all about. Let me just encourage you. There are people all around you that Jesus, while he was hanging on that cross, died for. And the question is, do we care? Are we willing to go and run and grab a drink for those who are spiritually thirsty? In Amos 8, he speaks of this. He says, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. Reality is there are people all around us who are spiritually thirsty in desperate need of Jesus, who are de in desperate need of a Savior, who loves them so much that he came down to die on a cross for them, was willing to give up his divinity, to give up his rights, so that we can have the rights of sonship and daughtership. There's a God that loves us that much. That's something amazing, church. If you've not thought about that this week or contemplated that this week, let me just encourage you to just think about that this week. There's a God that gave everything up for you because he loves you so much. But what's so cool is he doesn't just love you. He loves everybody else around you too. And so the question is, what are you going to do about it? 
Are you going to go and take that living water and bring it to the world around you? Are you going to open up your eyes to the thirst and the hunger of people that are all around you each and every day? The people you pass each and every day that are in desperate need of Jesus, who are hurting and have burdens and wounds in their life. Are you going to be willing to step out and listen to the Holy Spirit and step across the line and introduce them to this God that wants to give them living water? Who wants to have a relationship with him that changes everything. Would you pray with me? Father, every time we talk about your word, every time we talk about your cross, I pray we don't just talk about it, God, but it just it does something in our lives. And God, first and foremost, we just want to say thank you for who you are. That you're a God that was willing to give up everything for us. Go to the cross for us. God, you're so good. You're so amazing. God, help us. For those of us who have a relationship with you, would you just light a fire in us to go out and be your hands and feet and truly have a pattern for people to know who you are. And God, if there's anyone in this place today that's never started a relationship with you, that doesn't know what it is to truly know you. Maybe they've heard of you. God, I pray today is the day that they surrender everything. They give it all to you and accept you as the Lord and Savior of their life. I pray they take that step today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, let's